Welcome back, listeners, to If I Only Knew. Fred here with co-host extraordinaire Matt. G'day, Matt. How are you? Hello, Fred. I'm doing pretty well today. Now, Troops, I got my normal Friday morning text from Matt about the podcast. I want to read it to you. He says, <laughs> morning, Fred. I don't have a topic in mind for podcasting yet, but if you want to catch up at some point today, I'll do some more thinking. To which I replied in my most millennial fashion, dude, the queen died. Yeah, I should have picked up with that one. Hey, the biggest story in in some regards in living memory, and uh, I want to ask Matt, what mm. does the Queen dying mean to your generation? What does it mean to you, man? It is such the ending of an era. Hey, um, I I almost I think I almost didn't know if it would be appropriate to do a podcast about the death of the Queen, Fred. But I think there's tons to say, so absolutely we should. Um, I really see this as is really jeopardizing the future of like the commonwealth and and that kind of thing right like even the future of the monarchy um i think there are lots of young people who have an affinity to some degree or another to the monarchy but i think a lot of that is tied directly to queen liz i've heard a lot of people kind of say that you know once once she's no longer around that's the time when a lot more of the uh these countries in the Commonwealth look toward the future, look to look to separate from uh, England much more formally. So uh, to me, I think it seems like almost potentially the end of the Commonwealth. Well, I think it's interesting that you talk about the end of an era because essentially I spoke to my dear old mum today who was in tears about the death mm. of the Queen. And this is a migrant child to Australia. We're not talking about born and bred British, you know, stiff upper lip. Um, and we're talking about a monarch who is the head of state here that spent very little time here, but someone that people recognise from that generation and I think recognise specifically because of a degree of resilience. So I'm sure everybody knows that Queen Elizabeth was never meant to be the monarch. Mm. Um, it was a twist of fate where her uncle abdicated because he wanted to marry a divorcee from America. Mm. Her father, who was next in line at the time, was thrust into the role and she was the eldest born. So had her uncle had any heirs, she would have progressively pushed, been pushed down and out of the line of succession. Mm. Instead, she ended up thrust into a role that she wasn't born into, yet made her own. And, and I, wanted, I want you to think about in her lifetime, the most remarkable things that she would have seen. She would have seen the advent of proper commercial flight as a way of getting around the world and the world mm -hmm. opening up. She certainly saw things like television. Mm. She certainly saw the end of the Great War, which is World War II, and she would have met people like Churchill, mm. um, potentially other leaders of that, you know, Roosevelt and those sorts of things. I know her father certainly did. Mm. Then she saw other conflict. Think about the names of the people that have come and gone in her lifetime. You're talking about people like Mandela. Mm. You're talking about Mother Teresa, mm. Elvis, Elvis, Matt. Yeah, the whole Elvis era starts and ends with Ian. Right. Yeah. You've got things like, you know, the trauma of the, the passing of Diana mm. and how she fell out of favour and then bounced back from that. Um, the Falklands conflict, Vietnam War. Issues in the Ukraine, which she even made statements about in really subtle ways. So this is a person that's lived through some of the most remarkable change whilst holding 
arguably one of the most visible leadership roles in the mm. world. And that's why I have a lot of respect for the Queen mm. and was really sad to hear her passing. I'm not a monarchist because I'm neither here nor there on that, but I do believe that for an older generation, let's call it the boomers, mm. she represented one thing. For my generation, I think she's a constant. So in my lifetime, we've had at least three popes. Yeah. I can't tell you how many prime ministers and presidents. Um, I can't tell you how many public figures and how many trends. Mm. But she has been the most constant. She's been ruling for the entirety of my life. Mm. And without putting too fine a point on it, she's the face on the back of our money. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And that might be the unifying factor for generations coming through. Um, and I think psychologically, when you lose such a large public figure, there is a degree of grief that goes around the population. And psychologically and sociologically, we're losing something quite iconic, something yeah. bigger than just the person. Mm. So two things have happened post the news of her death. Three. One is... Um, they make very clear how it's managed mm. and quite the um, logistics. It's almost a military operation, I would right. say. I go as far as to say that. Two, which I only discovered today, um, Charles becomes king immediately upon the court yeah. of her death. Mm. So I always thought it was about the coronation. The coronation isn't actually him becoming king. He's king now. Mm. And the third thing is the call went up around Republic in Australia. Yes, morning. exactly. What do you make of that? Yeah, I think this is really, really the crux of it for me. Because um, I, I, you talk about constant. That is absolutely the, the most important feature, I think, of uh, Liz's reign. Because that's been a constant for the entirety of my life. Most, In fact, the entirety of your life as well, Fred. And uh, that's, that's striking. I think... That with that constancy comes stability, right? There's no reason to change as long as that constancy uh, is maintained. But uh, at the death of every monarch, you almost all through history, you have calls for change, calls for reformation or revolution or whatever. And uh, so I'm, I'm not at all surprised to hear that. Um, I think the goodwill associated with Liz doesn't extend to the rest of the royal family, um, at least to everyone in that royal family. And so I think I can totally see some... Uh, opportunities for for that change i think so long as liz was ruling i've always been of the opinion there's no point whatsoever in changing uh into a republic without liz i just have no faith or i i don't know what to expect from future monarchs right i'd hope that they would follow the same model of relative non-intervention besides from gough whitlam uh that that liz showed but i think that i'd be far more persuaded by talk of republic at the moment um, with any new kind of monarch than I was with someone who I knew had a track record for 30, 40, 50 years before I was born of uh, of presiding over the country. I, I think it's really interesting because I don't think, um, whilst it's very clear that Queen Elizabeth was the queen and the monarch um, and the head of the Commonwealth, it is very easy to separate the respect and regard for her versus how you might feel about the royal family. And I don't know, but I wonder what it's like in England at the mm. moment. I don't doubt that it is truly a nation in mourning mm. um, because 
she was uh, larger than life and a constant that was quite reliable for the British people, you know, very, very giving in and of herself. And you've got to talk about these people. Let's not forget they're highly privileged, um, very wealthy, but we would have to say about the Queen that she did give a life of service. Yeah, I think so. So despite all the privilege and wealth, I would say she was a pretty hardworking public servant in her own way. And I don't think there's any dispute or doubt about that compared to other people around the world that are in similar positions. Um, so I think there's going to be a lot of grieving and a lot of mourning and a lot of loss. And I think that there are staunch monarchists that would say, all right, we have um, King XYZ now because it presumes to be King Charles, but he could change his name. Uh, there's a precept right, yeah. in that. There is the uh, Queen Consort, uh, Camilla, mm -hmm. who is a contentious figure in herself because she was the other woman um, and the antithesis to Lady Diana, who was the next king's mother. So I'm sure that there are an element of people in the UK that would say, um, you know, this big drain on the public purse could probably be curtailed to a degree now. Mm -hmm. There are some people that really speak quite highly of Charles insofar as he was an early adopter of environmental consciousness and That's somebody right. that wanted to help keep the planet clean and unpolluted. And so in that regard, he's really well regarded. And where his estates are, he's actually quite loved because he, he is the main source of a lot of employment for people and, and runs quite a good, you know, viable agribusiness. But the question becomes for us, and I have a question about this for you because I know you love Australian politics. Um, when the Albanese government was sworn in, they put in a minister for yeah. the public. Mm. Do you think our current prime minister gambled on the prospect of this event happening, given that we know the Labor Party yeah. is probably the most pro-Republican force in the country at any mm. given time, do you think they saw this coming? Do you think they're going to use this as an opportunity to, to spark that debate again? Absolutely, for sure. Um, I, I think we we spoke briefly about this when we talked about the election itself, but I saw the institution of that ministry as uh, just good forward thinking, right? Because I thought, well, this is not going to be here forever. Um, when she passes on, uh, the Australian public's going to want at least discourse about this, I think. And so I see that that's exactly what this ministry is positioned for. I think that's good governance. Look to the future, see what's going to happen, um, institute a framework to guide that future. Whether or not we end up being a republic, I don't know. I think there's still a lot of that kind of vestigial um, sympathy for Liz left. I suspect the next six months, people are still going to be in support of it. But the question will be what happens next with, with Charles on the throne or um, whatever. And I suspect that People are also quite big fans of Will and Kate, as I understand it. So I think whether Australia becomes a republic or not seems actually a lot more up in the air than maybe I expected it to be when Liz passed away. But uh, I definitely see that as a discussion that we'll be having on a national level, for sure. I have a theory. I think that the passing of Queen Elizabeth in, in an anthropological and sociological perspective at a period of time becomes the fuel for a proper debate about the Republic. Mm, I sure. think there are a whole heap of people that were committed to the monarchy because they were committed to her. Yeah. And even, um, you know, some of our most conservative politicians would have to see that this is a good natural ending 
and a way for a young nation relatively to find its feet. But I also think there's another factor in that, Matt, which is the idea of this referendum around the Indigenous voice to Parliament. Mm. And I, I don't know. It's what I might do. But I might try to conflate the two issues now and say, why don't we use the Indigenous voice in Parliament to, in fact, install an Indigenous head of state? Right, yes. And the Queen. Mm. Now, it's big, it's bold, it's out there. It's probably the right thing to do. Um, whether Australia is ready to accept it, yeah. I don't know. But if somebody isn't sitting there thinking that now in the halls of power in Canberra in the Albanese administration, I'd be very surprised. Because mm. it would then, in a lot of ways, very symbolically close the gap. It would hand back to traditional owners of the country that symbolic leadership that they haven't had since they were displaced by British monarchs mm. hundred and X amount of years ago. Mm. Um, and I have a funny feeling, and I might be too optimistic here, I'm a psychologist, but I have a funny feeling that would be optimistic enough and have enough of a focus on true social justice to get behind it if the model was right. Mm. Mm. Um, and I'm probably tipping my hand here because, as I said, I, I'm a huge fan of Queen Elizabeth. I have a Queen Elizabeth tea towel sitting on my desk <laughs> brought to me by our, um, our very dear friend, Dr. Kylie Henderson, when she was in the UK last. However, I would love to see a time when um, a, an Australian uh, citizen uh, born under the Southern Cross was our head of state. Mm. I don't think it has to change our parliamentary system at all. I think that works really well. But I had heard the story, true or not, I couldn't tell you, that when we had the last referendum on the Republic, the Queen was quite ready for Australia to cede from the Commonwealth. Uh, yeah. And it was Prince Philip that's reportedly to have remarked, don't these people know what's in their best interest when it was defeated as a movement? So... <laughs> I think it's on this day that we think about somebody who's had the longest reign as a sovereign monarch in the UK, probably did uh, more good than harm, left people better than she found them, mm. and leaves an impossibly large void uh, due to her passing. Mm. Mm. Well, I really like your kind of subtle patriotism there, Fred, of the kind of sense of an Australian head of state for Australia, something I've not come across uh, as much before, but I think uh, I think it could fit quite nicely, especially as we see the passing of this era. But since Liz is no longer on the throne, instead we have Charles, what are your thoughts about Charles, Fred? How's he going to take up this mantle and perhaps resist this, uh, or not resist, this this potential referendum or change in Australia? It was my hope that in her dying breath, Queen Elizabeth pulled Charles over to her bed, looked him in the eye, grabbed him by the throat, and with the last of her strength, snapped his neck. <laughs> um, you know, if we're lucky, he might choke on his breakfast kipper today and uh, end our misery. I, Despite the fact that I'm sure he has great value, I think he is the biggest... Um, single biggest risk to the monarchy. Let's not forget that his brothers are 
mm. a rock spider that may or may not uh, or did have to spend millions of dollars to extract himself from uh, a sex scandal, including underage girls. I think he is an extension of um, an approach to monarchy that doesn't serve the monarchy well. Mm. Um, and I'm not convinced that people won't get used to him, but I certainly think that we will see a King William or whatever he changes his name to in our lifetime, all things being equal. I don't think Charles has got the same stamina that his mother had, but I, the longer he is in a position of power, the more likely it is that people spit out Republican arguments, not just here, but don't forget there are Republicans in the UK as well. Mm, Yeah. Um, and, you know, I'm pretty sure the Scottish might leave the charge yeah. independence and those sorts of things. They tend to get a little bit cranky anyway. So I think it is a terrible day because of the passing of Queen Elizabeth and a terrible day for the monarchy. And psychologically, and I'm a psychologist, I continue to remind people of that, I despise <laughs> Prince Charles or rather King, whatever his name will be. Yeah. And I don't know if that's because of the Diana thing or, I, look, I couldn't really tell you why, just because he's the dumb son, you know, like I've got, <laughs> I've got nothing to compare him to. Mm. It's a, it's an unnatural dislike, I'm sure, and potentially unfair. Mm. But uh, you asked the question, there's the answer. I'm yeah. sure I'm, I'm not alone in that. And if you believe that Charles is the numbnut that I perceive him to be, um, the gibbering, simpering, you know, and maybe it's the crown. I shouldn't have watched the crown, Matt. <laughs> it's um, definitely an opinion shared by many people, I think, Fred. Well, I, I thank you for the question. And I'd ask all of our listeners to like, subscribe, and share your thoughts about the monarchy with us. Um, somebody did say to me the other day, is this a psychological podcast? Is it a generational podcast? Is it a political podcast? And my answer to that is yes. It is exactly. all of those things and more. It's whatever Matt and I choose to uh, to put out into the airwaves and you good enough listeners are good enough to listen to. So thank you from this week from If I Only Knew, and we look forward to catching up next week in the fun-filled, action-packed world of whatever is going on. Thank you, Matt. No, wonderful. Thanks for this, uh, this intergenerational and psychological look into the new monarchy. Thank you for listening. This podcast is a Better Pod Group production, with special thanks to our researcher, Nicola Binks, executive producer, Matt Blanche, the providers of our theme song with credits that are in our bio, and of course, you, the listener. It's important to remember that this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Whilst there are therapeutic themes discussed, in no way is this podcast considered treatment, and in the event you're in a psychological emergency, please reach out in whatever way you can through 000 or Lifeline 13 11 14. It's important to remember that the discussion is for entertainment purposes, and the opinions voiced by podcast hosts of theirs and theirs alone. Any reference to copyright or copywritten material is, of course, the copyright of the copyright owner and or relevant corporate entities. Thank you for listening to Bed Pod Group Productions and tuning to some of our other excellent pod productions on this network.